Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,836. Today we're talking about Brumos Racing and Porsches. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Jemez Springs, New Mexico, with a very special returning guest by the name of Sean Cridlin. Hey, Sean, welcome back to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready? to release the clutch. Get ready, Freddie. Let's go, man, go. <laughs> Absolutely. You're a guy that's always ready to go. I remind my regular listeners that Sean was a very early guest. He was one of those very kind people that took a chance with me way back when I was trying to figure out what I was doing. He was guest number 359 back in 2015. And then he brought back, uh, I came back to the show, I should say, with Hurley Haywood when he produced and published a wonderful book about Hurley. He was guest number 994. So you're a very rare three-peater here on cars yeah i'm honored uh this is a great show you do a great job and you have the most interesting people in all of podcast <laughs> well thank you and that includes you my friend well a question that i didn't ask you last time you were on the show but i'm going to ask you this time before i give you a proper introduction and we dive into this new project that you're doing what's one little thing that most people don't know about you well, most people don't know that I have a PhD in East-West Comparative Philosophy, um, which I got from the University of Hawaii from their East-West uh, Center and, and program. It doesn't seem like that might apply to something like uh, I've been doing in the last several years, but uh, you know, a lot of people tend to think of PhD as piled high, higher and deeper. <laughs> but for anybody who's gone through that, what it really means is that you're willing to spend long periods doing deep research and often at the expense of normal interactions with other people. And, um, and another part of that is because I'm of a large stature, I'm, I've been a victim of that, that stereotype of big equals stupid. Uh-huh. And so uh, I enjoy uh, when people say something like, well, don't you have to have a PhD to do what you did? And I say, <laughs> yep. I do. <laughs> yeah, isn't that a nice thing? Well, another thing I want to touch on real briefly that is unique about you, and perhaps for people that don't know a lot about your past, is you are also a downhill speed record skier. I mean, you went well over 100 miles an hour in uh, France on a pair of snow skis, right? Yeah, yeah. Back in my uh, 20s and early 30s, I participated in the World Cup of speed skiing, and uh, I've skied over 120 miles an hour many times, and my personal downhill on snow record was 126 miles an hour back when the record was 129, and I used to train on top of the Team Vesco 444 Streamliner at Bonneville, and my record there is 162 through the mile on top of their car, and that's a record which has held for almost 36 years now. Well, that's because nobody's crazy enough to strap themselves on the top of a race car and go that fast. Holy cow. I mean, my hat's off to you. Uh, Huge kudos. And think about that, listeners. Think about strapping yourself to the top of a streamliner and going 162 miles an hour. And you had skis on, right? You were strapped into some skis and boots. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, you'd be surprised, but uh, actually in the world of ski racing, that type of training is fairly common, 
and uh, speed skiers are still doing it, uh, although no one's approached my record yet. But wow! But yeah, that's the thing that uh, that people do for training. Absolutely incredible. I mean, I can't even imagine. So it's just amazing. Well, let me give you a proper introduction. We're going to dive into this new project I'm so excited about. Sean Cridlin is an automotive journalist, a photographer, and an author with over 100 articles in print. You've seen his work, no doubt, in magazines including Porsche Panorama, Porsche 356 Registry, Excellence, uh, Pete Stouse Triple Zero, and on many websites. He's published essays on aesthetics, environmental philosophy, art, film, wine, and travel. He's a very well-rounded gentleman, I would say. Sean teamed up with racing champion Hurley Haywood to co-write and publish the critically acclaimed Hurley from the beginning. In 2019, Sean won the coveted Motor Press Guild Bob D'Olivio Award for Outstanding Photography and the American Auto Racing Writers and Broadcasters Association Top Award for Best Nonfiction Book. And today he's here to talk about a new book, a three-book series titled Brumos, an American Racing Icon. So much fun. We'll be back in just a minute to talk with Sean, but first a word from our valued sponsors. So give him a little love and we'll be right back. Sit tight. Summer's here, thank goodness, and that means long, hot days. Covercraft's UVS custom sunscreens are quality-made and are incredibly fast and easy to use. Your UVS sunscreen is custom-tailored for your vehicle, and the accordion design ensures easy storage. Not only do they protect your dash and interior for maximum protection while parking in the sun, sunscreens keep your vehicle's interior significantly cooler. They're durable and dependable for years of use. I have one for all my vehicles and I use them every time I park my car when I'm not going to put the cover on. You can choose from a variety of colors including the original, their Premier Series and Carhartt designs. Your sunscreen is manufactured with the quality and attention to detail that's been the standard for Covercraft since 1965. And they make really great gifts too. Get your summer deal today if you use the code YEAH21, Y-E-A-H-21 at Covercraft.com. You'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off compliments of cars, yeah. Simply use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Get your own custom sunscreen today. Last year, I changed my collector car coverage to American Collectors Insurance. That's who now protects my Porsche Turbo, the one I call my Orange Crush. But did you know they also insure your valuable collections of automobilia and other collectibles? If you're like me, you've invested in a lot of cool collectibles over the years. Those items are valuable. And if you were to lose them in a theft or a fire, well, try to get your normal homeowner's insurance to pay you what they're worth. Good luck with that. American Collectors Insurance provides you with assurance and confidence that your collectibles are fully covered. They insure a lot of items, including automobilia, wine, baseball cards, books, figurines, die-cast models, model trains, glassware, sports memorabilia, toys, and a whole lot more. American Collectors Insurance, they've been protecting us enthusiasts since 1976. They provide you with an agreed value insurance policy backed by a long history of taking care of their clients. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Rains here at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. 
All right, Sean, we're back. So let's dive a little deeper into the corner, or I should say maybe go a little faster down the hill in your case. Let's talk about this new book. Brumos is an icon, especially in the Porsche world, the racing world. I mean, it's just this entity that anyone who loves racing and especially old Porsches is very aware of. Of course, Hurley, uh, your good friend, a past guest here on Cars, yeah, several times, integral in Brumos racing program. So Let's talk about what this book is, why you took on this challenge, and we're going to dive in a little deeper in a minute here to some of the things that you learned. So let's talk about Brumos. Yeah, well, uh, when Hurley and I completed our book tour back in 2018, I approached uh, Dan Davis, the owner of Brumos, about the possibility of doing a Brumos history book. And at the time, the idea was that uh, we would produce a book about the same size as Hurley's book, which was a big book, uh, 420 pages, 659 photos, weighed 6.8 pounds. Um, a funny thing happened along the way, and that was when Mr. Davis told me that I should, you know, do a good job with uh, covering the Brundage family who started Brumos, and also do some research to see what I could find out about the Duesenberg. I, uh, of course, as a as a as a guy wanting to satisfy his client, said uh, absolutely. What I thought at the time really was how much material could there really be about the Brundage family, and what Duesenberg? Uh, what happened was this. I looked at some nice, very nice articles from uh, Porsche historian Phil Carney, who did a, a couple of nice pieces on the Brundage family, and thought, well, gosh, I don't know how I could add much to this. And then about uh, a week later, from the Brundage family arrived four legal-sized boxes of documents, letters, and family photos. Wow. Uh, so anyway, the uh, box was filled with uh, the, uh, letters, documents, and photos uh, going all the way back to the year 1900 when uh, Ira Brundage was a close personal friend with Glenn Hammond Curtis, the aviator. Ah. And he was eventually the one who brought them to Florida to run his lumberyard in Miami. And then eventually they uh, eventually found their way into the car business. So that meant that the Brundage story went from being maybe one or two chapters to eventually becoming nine chapters. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there was a lot in those boxes, eh? That was uh, remarkable because the, in it there were uh, handwritten letters, there were documents, uh, letters to and from uh, Ira to Andy Granatelli, who supplied some of the motors for his hot rods, original letters uh, between Mr. Brund, Hubert Brundage and officials at Porsche when he was trying to wrestle a distributorship away from Max Hoffman. Mm. Some of the letters were somewhat incendiary. Uh, and were really uh, interesting and fun to watch. And by the way, those are all in the book. And so, uh, so the story of the of the pre Peter Greg Brumos became almost an entire volume unto itself. You know, it's fascinating because going that far back, it sets a tone. I would assume for the whole rest of the book, right? Of how this thing was birthed. It was really amazing because what you saw was this family was caught up in so many of the great economic and uh, social movements of the 20th century, including the Miami land boom and the, the migration of people from north to south and the growth of the automotive industry and the, the evolution of racing. And, and oh, and by the way, along the way, they were working for Pan Am in, the, in its very earliest years, laying out supply routes in South and Central America. So, uh, and, and then you get into to the ambition and the building of their car empire, which 
which uh, Hubert Brundage's uh, passing was a distribution network of many states, and they had just recently built a seven-story uh, headquarters in Jacksonville, a beautiful new showroom and a fantastic warehouse. And, you know, nobody really thinks too much about the Brundages and the Brumo story, but they were on their way to being a Penske-style empire. Wow. It's fascinating. So as we move forward into what most of us who don't know this history, but we're, we're learning it with this book, to the Brumos name and what Brumos began. Let's start with Brumos. Where'd the name come from? Oh, well, uh, <laughs> that's, that's one of the great stories that uh, if, if people know about Brumos and they know a little bit about the past, then they know it came from Brundage Motors. Uh, so it's the BRU from Brundage and the MO. S from Motors, and that was their shortened name for their telexes and, te and telegrams to their uh, Volkswagen and Porsche suppliers in Germany. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the legend, uh, but it has its own interesting story in the way that uh, Mr. Brundage then used that name to form his new companies uh, when he was trying to establish the business on his own. What was the passion for Porsche with Brumos? Where, where did that come from? Ah, and that's where the Duesenberg comes into play, <laughs> because uh, when Mr. Uh, Davis asked me about the Duesenberg, I assumed that it only had something to do with his passion for pre-World War II IndyCar racers. But when I started digging into the story a little bit, it became um, much more fascinating than that even. The Duesenberg, as it turns out, started life as a 1931 IndyCar racer and came in second place in the 31 Indy 500 with Fred Frame driving it. Uh, it raced a few more times, not as successfully. Eventually, it was in, uh, in a couple of movies as a prop. And then, like so many other race cars, it was pushed behind somebody's shed uh, to kind of uh, settle into the ground. Ira Brundage was one of the original hot rodders who, you know, pulled the fenders off his 32 Ford Coupes and would hop up the engines and stuff like that. And he decided to, you know, get that car and put a flathead Ford motor in it and uh, use it as a hot rod street car. So he writes to Andy Granatelli at Grand Corps to get a flathead Ford motor. Uh, they start riding back and forth. And he says, uh, why don't you come to the 1947 Indy 500 and see our car? So he does. He goes there. Along the way, he meets the founding members of the SCCA who are there to get sanctioned for the first uh, Watkins Glen Grand Prix in 1948. Ira Brundage is a brand new member of the SCCA the very next month in Sports Car Magazine. In 48, he goes, he races the car. The car is 18 years old. He's 62 years old, oh does poorly. He takes the car home. Rather than quitting, he completely re-engineers the car, pulls apart the engine, completely balances and polishes the whole engine. He gets George Huntoon, one of the hottest SCCA drivers of the day, to drive it. And in 1950, Palm Beach Grand Prix, they win. They beat the Cunninghams, the Colliers, everybody in the sports car world, um, and embarrass the whole SCCA who want sports cars. They want Jaguars and Ferraris and they got this hot rod. By the end of the year, they outlaw the car. But in 1950, when they're back at Watkins Glen for the car's final race, Briggs Cunningham and Max Hoffman are there for the weekend, just driving around the village, the brand new Porsches, the first ones in, in the United States. And that's where Hubert Brundage sees the Porsche and he can't live without it. Yeah. It's like I mean, that, and from there, we get into the rest of the story about the Brundages and Brumos getting into the Porsche world. But it never would have happened without the Duesenberg. 
That is incredible. Wow. What a fun, what a fun story. Now, you have so much information here. You put this into a three book series, correct? That's right. Yeah. And they're not little books either. <laughs> Each of these is a good sized book. <laughs> well, <laughs> as I mentioned, we, we started off with the idea of having a, uh, another hurley sized book and i think we introduced uh peter gregg on about page 340 and uh hurley at about 380 and uh and by the time we get to 1970 we're on about page 440 so yeah (laughs) (laughs) it kind of grew it kind of grew you know it's just fascinating and i love this I, i always think of of writers like you, Sean, being these detectives that have these giant boards in their homes with all these pictures and notes and lines going to them. You know how the detectives are trying to figure out what's going on and who? And I mean, how do you, when you're doing a project of this size, do you bite it off in little elephant bite sizes? You think about how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Is that the only, I mean, I don't know how you keep it all straight. Um, Well, you tend to always want to think that you're doing that, but you know, then there was this other problem because we also kind of had a timeline of when we wanted the book to come out. So I was writing uh, chapters one, two, and three. By the time I got to three, um, my first reader, uh, Betty Jo Turner, started uh, reading and editing. And so then when she would make her edits, I'd go back and look at it with her. By the time I was into chapter four, Richard Barron, who's the stylist and uh, layout expert, um, was starting to lay out chapter one, and then I was starting to think about researching chapter five. Hmm. And so um, uh, I was juggling a lot. Yeah. Betty Jo from Porsche Club fame, correct? Yes, that's right. Editor of uh, Panorama for uh, 40 years. Long time. Yeah. No Betty Jo. She's fantastic. I always ask my guests about inspirations, driving inspirations. What was most, or what did you find most inspiring about this project, about Brumos? Oh, well, the name Brumos itself, uh, really. Uh, You know, having worked with Hurley, you know, uh, when we did our work together, I just always wanted to do the best I could for him. And obviously, I had heard of Brumos and knew of Brumos and, and had you know seen the Brumos team and seen the Brumos cars and seen them race and all that. But when you kind of get inside of that circle and you see the tightness of the family, not just a, a, a nuclear family, but, but the family of team members and former drivers and crew members and so on and so forth, you just want to, you want to do the best you can because it's it's Brumos. It's it's not just a team. It's it's a legendary team, and um, you you tend to want to uphold the legends of of people like Hubert Brundage and Peter Gregg and Hurley Haywood and you know all the other people who have been involved over the generations. Well, holding honor to what they've created, when you think about what they were doing uh, at the time, it's like any great lineage of anything is you don't really know what the legacy that you're creating is going to be because you're in the midst of it. And then to have somebody come in who has to decipher all this and pull it all apart, it's absolutely monumental. And that's my next question is that is if you were going to advise advise other writers to tackle these huge projects like the, the last book with Hurley and this book, uh, what are a couple tips you might offer them? <laughs> Run! <laughs> <laughs> Give up everything else in your life for a couple of years? Yeah, it's a huge. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I say that uh, in some ways uh, humorously, but in other senses, I really didn't do anything else for the last two years, and 
And of course, I know a lot of people have been affected by the pandemic, but truthfully, uh, I was already uh, in isolation for a year before the pandemic hit because I was that deep into the project. Uh, so, so in a way, it was kind of helpful, as terrible as that sounds, but it was kind of helpful that you had to be isolated and there was no events to go to. So nothing to pull you away from the project, right? It was worse than that, Mark. I hardly even noticed because I was so uh, focused on what I was doing that uh, except for seeing stuff on TV, I wasn't affected at all. I guess in one way, uh, there was a little bit of a silver lining there uh, for you, which is a good thing. You were isolated, which is what we all had to be, and, and working and steady and uh, not too much to distract you, which is great. Let's take a short break and thank our sponsors. We come back. I want to ask you about a big challenging part of this. I'm sure there were a lot of challenging parts, but maybe one of the biggest ones you dealt with. So think about that, and we'll be right back. What began as a charitable car show has grown into the world's greatest collector car auctions, raising over $133 million for charitable organizations to date. For nearly 50 years, automotive enthusiasts from all over the world have enjoyed the Barrett-Jackson Collector Car Auctions, and I'm a huge fan. Regarded as the barometer of the collector car industry, their auctions are world-class lifestyle events, where thousands of the world's most sought-after unique and valuable automobiles cross the block in front of a global audience, in person, on TV, or streamed online. Barrett-Jackson produces the world's greatest collector car auctions in Scottsdale, Arizona, Palm Beach, Florida, Las Vegas, Nevada, and new for 2021, Houston, Texas. The excitement of Barrett-Jackson auctions is contagious, and a unique experience is not to be missed. And coming soon, something new for you Cars Yeah listeners. I'll be teaming up with Craig Jackson on the first ever Barrett Jackson podcast, coming to your mobile devices every week. Listen here on Cars Yeah and check out the Barrett Jackson website for unique details on this new exciting podcast that I'm very proud to be a part of. And be sure to visit BarrettJackson.com today. Barrett Jackson, the world's greatest collector car auctions. I've discovered... Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on firsthand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion. And mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions. Ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. So, Sean, we talk about challenges, obstacles, failures, things you have to overcome. The great thing about these tests in life is they teach us something if we pay attention and if we carry that lesson forward. What was one of the biggest obstacles you faced in this monumental project? I would have to say, and this was early on because eventually some of these problems smoothed themselves out, but 
You know, when I was doing the Hurley book, I was uh, pretty new to this world still. Um, and so some of the people that I contacted early on for a project that, that I had imagined before the Hurley book, which was a book about Peter Gregg, some of the people that I had hoped to talk to simply wouldn't talk to me. I mean, mm. they didn't know who I was. They didn't know my track record. And eventually that project kind of ground to a halt, and that's that's when Hurley kind of stepped in, and we did our book together. But uh, because of the Hurley book, a lot of people had heard of me by then and, and knew my reputation. They knew the work uh, that we did together, mm -hmm. and a lot of those doors started to open. So that was one of the great things. But I, I would have to say that one of the great challenges of this book was really kind of understanding and discerning the characteristics of and trying to write some of the characters uh, with some kind of understanding and pathos. Uh, namely, Peter Gregg, who had a you know, long reputation during his life with, with being kind of difficult with journalists and, and sometimes difficult even with people in his own life, and trying to understand where he was coming from, uh, what he was uh, up to, where his plans were going, how his life was uh, unfolding. And some of the stuff that I really came up with, it really made me want to look at him differently than most people had, came from people like Hurley and from Jim Busby, who was a good friend of Peter's oh, yeah. and who had very kind things to say about Peter and really kind of jarred my understanding of who he was and, and then eventually, you know, what happened uh, afterward with Peter. Well, looking ahead to bucket lists, and as all good racers, it's always about what's coming up, whether it's in the next corner or the next race or the next car they're going to be driving. What are you looking forward to? What's the next project? Well, you know, I don't really have another book project lined up. Uh, if I had a fantasy, yeah. I would love to see this uh, this Brumos book, uh, this three-volume set that covers 120 years turned into like a mini-series uh, that would kind of trace out some of these personalities within the eras that they were working in and what their ambitions were and what their what their goals were and how they dealt with uh, with uh, challenges and sometimes failures and and uh, and try to get an understanding of uh, their unbending will to make things happen. That would be fascinating. That would be absolutely brilliant. Now there's a project. Holy cow. Yeah, I can't imagine that one. Well, I hope that happens. And do you see a book about Peter Gregg happening in the future? Uh, well, uh, I don't think that there will be a separate one because uh, the 1970s uh, take up the entire volume two. Uh, and Peter also kind of comes into, the, into volume uh, one towards the end. So I think we've pretty well covered Peter Gregg now. Now, I asked my guests about special vehicles in their life. I'm going to tie this into your book about Brumos. In all of this research and all this time you spent in this world, I know this is tough, but it's a tough question. Is there one vehicle, maybe a race car, maybe not, that stands out for you? That, and maybe it's that Duesenberg. What would it be? Oh, I'd have to say it's the Duesenberg. Yeah. I know that in the past you'd ask, you know, if you were a car, what would you want to be? I would say the Duesenberg because, you know, it started off with this amazing splash in its life uh, in Indianapolis and, um, and, and managed to persevere for several years. It became a movie star, but then it vanished into uh, obscurity for several years. Uh, and then it came back to the forefront and, uh, you know, took on a legendary status of its own in the sports car world. Um, and uh, once again, languished for decades 
uh, it still exists. And uh, by telling this story now, uh, we're bringing it back to life. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be the Duesenberg. It's, it's got uh, the, the most amazing story, I think, in the whole book. What year again was that Duesenberg? 1931. 31. Because you think about Duesenberg's uh, raced uh, around the world in many ways with, with what they were. But that particular car, and you said it still exists. Where's that car today? I'm not going to say. You're not going to say. Oh, it's hidden away somewhere. Oh my God! Or, or is it revealed in the book, and we got to we have to read about it? And, and no, we uh, now that might be a future article, or maybe even a book unto itself. But uh, I don't want to say too much about it. Okay, I am men of mystery, Sean. I see what's going on here. And again, that question about if you were a car. So this time on cars, yeah, you're that Duesenberg, eh? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you've associated with it. How were some of the ways, you know, you were a, a professor for a while, right? Teacher? Yes, yes. Yeah. I taught uh, philosophy, political science, and religious studies for several years. So what are some of the ways that you like to help give back to others, maybe particularly in the automotive sector? Well, you know, because I have so been so tied up for the last five or six years, uh, first with Hurley's book and, and now with this book, I... I haven't been able to get out too much, uh, but recently I made a donation to the NASCAR Foundation. Hurley uh, was recently named a member, and the NASCAR uh, Foundation has been working towards uh, establishing more diversity in motorsports. And a good number of the people in my life are people of color uh, and or um, members of the LGBTQ community. And uh, I've really admired what uh, NASCAR and IMSA have done in the last uh, couple of years to, to really kind of change the, la the landscape of the motorsports community. And I know they've taken some heat from it in some kind of ways, but uh, but I, I, I fully support that. And I'm glad that I can pitch in even just a little bit to that. Fantastic. If there's any big grand thing that you took away from this project about Brumos, what would it be? Oh, the, the, the Brumos is a remarkably small uh, in size, but expansive in reputation family. That, uh, you know, when you look at the era of, the, of, you know, the 1970s, the great Peter Gregg, uh, Jack Atkinson, Hurley Haywood years, you know, they were operating with a team of, you know, maybe four or five guys most of the time. Uh, and they were achieving these great successes and became legendary for being almost unbeatable. Certainly it was that, but also uh, really the kind of amazing imagination and uh, uh, engineering creativity that Jack Atkinson did to make those cars just a little bit faster than everybody else's at the same time. And, you know, that's that's been part of the, the Brumo story all along, I think, all the way back from the Brundages, uh, that um, they do a lot with a little. And Brumos now, as a dealership chain or franchise, has been sold. It's somewhat gone. Although, I had Brandon Starks as a guest on my show last year, who's the executive director of the new Brumos Museum, which is a fantastic place to go and see some of this history with Brumos, which is pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the dealership closed in 2016, and uh, and. This, uh, right around that same time, I, I was there, and I went over to the race shop with Hurley, and, and Dan actually was laying out the plans 
for the construction of the new collection. And I was fortunate enough to tour it several times as it was being built and then eventually go to the opening uh, just a little over a year ago. And it truly is a fabulous museum. Uh, I, I recommend anyone who's interested in anything automotive to, to visit that place. It's remarkable for the cars, not just Porsches, but a number of uh, pre-World War II Indy cars, some, some of A.J. Foyt's greatest uh, dirt cars, and just the beautiful design of the, of the, of the building itself. It's, it's fabulous. You have to see it. It's a really unique museum. You listeners can go back and listen to my talk with Brandon. Uh, he was uh, on Cars Yeah. Just put Brandon Starks in the search bar. And also check out the BrumosCollection.com website. It's in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, if you're going to be in that part of the world, definitely worth visiting. It's a very unique museum, very cool museum. Check it out. Uh, I always ask about books, but we're talking about your books here. And I want to remind people, you can still get your hands on Hurley from the beginning. If you don't have that book in your automotive library, you really should because it's an incredible history of Hurley's life. You can go back and listen to my talk with Hurley and with Sean here on Cars Yeah. We talk about the book in depth, but it's it's well worth getting. And of course, Brumos, an American racing icon. Is the book available now, Sean? Uh, we're taking uh, pre-press orders now, and we're looking at uh, early to mid-summer delivery. And where do people go to uh, do a pre-order? They would go to uh, the Brumos Collection slash thebrumosbook.com. All right. I'll make sure I put a link to that on Sean's show notes page. You know, if you're an automotive enthusiast like we are, all the listeners here on Cars, yeah, certainly are. This is really a book collection you should have as part of your history. And now that we know a little bit more about the deep history of this, I'm fascinated to get my hands on a copy and learn a lot more. Can't wait for it to come out. Are you going to be doing a a bit of a, now that we're somewhat let out of our uh, collective cages here, uh, book signing tour, are you going to be at some different places this summer? Yeah, uh, we debuted at Amelia Island um, and had a great uh, preseason sale. Uh, I know we're going to be at Watkins Glen for the IMSA weekend at the end of June. uh, And then we have some other events that we're finalizing uh, throughout the rest of the summer and fall. That'll be great. Let's take one more short little break. We come back. I'm going to take in a little bit of the ultimate drive here, but I'm going to mix it up with a little Brumos legend here. I think you may have already answered the question, but we'll see. Sit tight. Keep your seatbelts on. We'll be right back. Have you looked under your hood recently? The average car today has more than 70 computers and 100 million lines of code. Today and tomorrow, being a professional technician requires an understanding of technology, computers, and electrical systems that are highly advanced and very complex. Cars Yeah! is honored to support TechForce Foundation as our charity of choice. Their efforts to help young people pursue a technical education and a fulfilling career as automotive techs is the key to an inspired life. Through scholarships, grants, and good old-fashioned hands-on experiences with vehicles, TechForce and Cars yeah! are working together to connect young people with viable careers. Join us and learn more by visiting techforce.org today. All right, we're back. So I always ask my guests about the ultimate drive. Now, this is something kind of new since you were last on. I used to talk about the ultimate car, uh, but sometimes that gets combined. But here's the way I'm going to word this for you. I have a magic scepter, and I can arrange for you to go on what's called the ultimate drive, which means any car with any person going anywhere. So what does yours look like this time on Cars Yeah? 
Well, I've got a couple ideas for this. One is cool. I would do a drive around the country with the entire cast uh, of principal players in the Brumo story with mm-hmm. Ira and Hubert Brundage and Jan Brundage and Peter and Hurley. Uh, Johnny Von Newman was in that mix, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Snodgrass, Dan Davis, you know, Deborah Gregg. I would, I would get a Cayenne and I'd drive around the country. Uh, maybe we'd have to take turns. Yeah. Uh, but I would just want to hear all the stories and quiz them and find out their motivations and, and all that kind of stuff. But my second idea is this. You know, I did the book with Hurley. Uh, he and I have ridden around in cars together, sometimes with me driving, sometimes with him driving. But what I really want more than anything would be to have a ride with Hurley at Daytona, Sebring, Le Mans, and Watkins Glen for maybe, you know, four or five laps. Um, and maybe a RSR or 935, something like that, to just really watch him in action. Not not talk, not just watch and experience. Yeah, I think if you're going to be on a track in a 935 with Hurley, there's not a lot of talking going on. <laughs> there's a lot of experiencing going on. Holy cow. Well, I'd love to make both of those happen for you. I think that would be pretty darn cool. I love the concept of this whole cast of characters from this book because you're now so intimate with them. I would assume when you write a book like this, you it, now it's easy with Hurley because you got to know him personally as a friend and, and, and a mentor in the racing world. But with people that are long gone, do you feel like you just kind of know them as, as relationships now? That's, you know, that's one of the more interesting experiences of writing a work like this, especially when you have uh, the availability to evidence that I did. So, so you know, for instance, uh, with this book, I was very fortunate that the Gregg family opened up all of Peter's notebooks and family albums to me. Uh, and there were 10 of them, and I spent considerable time looking through all of them, page by page by page by page, and, and a lot of that material is now in the book also. So, so I could really get a feeling for what he was doing because of, through his own writings about uh, various races. But then also uh, so many of his uh, friends and competitors opened up to me as well, and that was... That was really cool. And some similar things happened with, with Bob Snodgrass, who I, who I never got to meet, but his family was very, very helpful uh, in providing me with photos and letters and, and with stories and so on. And, um, you know, I, I think that I do actually feel pretty close to those people now. No doubt. What are, or what is, I should say, a parting mantra, success quote, or maybe words of advice you might leave us with today? I think that my advice for anybody who wants to do something like this uh, would be that when you dive into something like this, you have to reach for your dreams. But I think that you also have to work, at least this is my motivation, I have to work with a sense of fear that I won't reach my full potential without really hard work, sometimes pain, lots of sacrifice, um, and you also have to be ready to throw away everything you ever thought you believed when you're confronted with the evidence. And that was mm, one of the things that yeah. Jim Busby told me when I started this. He said, don't listen to the myths. Don't listen to the stories. Follow the evidence. And I think that's the most important part. You know, I've heard that from other writers, and it's a very hard thing to do because we all have our own biases, our own history, our own thoughts about things. And when you realize that maybe what you thought was right or was correct or a piece of history, when it turns out different, oh boy, that can put you back on your heels. So you have to be ready to accept that. 
in many cases. Very well said. So the book is Brumos, an American racing icon. I should say the books because it's a three-part series. Huge history here. This is something every automotive legend has to have in their library. Again, what's the best way for people to pre-order and get their hands on this first edition? Go to the website, thebrumoscollection.com slash thebrumosbook. There you go. I'll make sure I put a link to that in case you're running, walking, or driving right now. You can go to the website on the Car Show website, type in Sean Cridlin. Now, you're going to see him pop up a few times, but the most recent show here, guest number 1836, uh, I highly encourage you. It's going to be on my library shelf to get these books. You're going to love the read. Sean, hey, thanks for coming back and spending some time with me today. My friend, it's always good to get to spend a little time with you. I can't can't wait to see you at an event somewhere soon, hopefully, now that we're all out and about. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!